making sure you let them know what your financial review process is. It's very important because if you aren't reviewing your financials, your investors are not going to like that because you won't be able to catch issues sooner. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're gonna help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're gonna help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're gonna be allowed to focus on the things that are most important like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode. And for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the apartment syndication school, go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I'm your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast episodes that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy, and for the majority of these episodes sometimes are part of a larger series. We offer a free resource. These are PowerPoint presentation templates, 
Excel template calculators, PDF how-to guides, something that accompanies the episodes that will help you on your apartment syndication journey. All of these free documents from past episodes and series, as well as those past episodes and series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. And in this episode, we are going to talk about some of the questions you should be prepared to answer when you are speaking with potential passive investors. So way back in the day when we did the original series, we did an episode that talked about how to prepare for potential objections from investors, especially when you're first starting out. So you'll definitely want to check out that episode. I think it's over 50 objections. And we go through those in multiple episodes and talk about Hey, these are things that your past investors might ask you either up front or when you actually have a deal. And we talked about the ways you should be responding to those questions. This episode, we are going to go over 11 more questions. Some of them are repeats from before. Some of them are new, but these are questions that the Ashcroft Investor Relations person has come across more recently with the coronavirus pandemic. So these aren't specific to the coronavirus pandemic. But these are the types of questions that you should expect investors to ask whenever there's a looming recession or thoughts of a looming recession or something is going on that's not your economic boom where everything's just kind of naturally going well. So let's just jump right into those questions. We should be able to get through all 11 today in this episode. So the first one and probably the most important question that you're going to get asked during potential recession times is... How are you adding value or hedging against valuation reductions and rent reductions? So more specific to the coronavirus in January and everything looked great. In February, everything was fine as your normal year as an apartment investor. And even the beginning of March was pretty normal. But by about mid-March, things started to change. And by the end of March, there were stay-at-home orders. Businesses were closing or shutting down or at least reducing their hours of operation some sort of change that affected the workforce. And obviously, as a apartment investor, the residents are able to pay for rent and pay you by their jobs. And so if they can't leave their homes, or if they lost their jobs, then how are they going to pay rent? So these are things that passive investors are definitely thinking about right now. How are you ensuring that you're going to be able to collect rent, and in turn, make sure that you're able to maintain the value of the apartment. So you need to have an answer to that. You need to have specific answers to what exactly you are doing. And we've talked about ways to do that in previous episodes where I talked about how to make sure you're able to collect rent. So definitely check that out. But you're going to want to have a specific answer to that proactively because your investors are going to be asking you that question. Number two, and this is more of a general one, but can I run a background check on your key people? So obviously, you should always answer yes to this question without hesitation. These people are investing a large amount of money with you, and they want to make sure that there are no red flags for you or other sponsors on the deal. So basically, the same way that you'd be screening a potential resident, they're going to be screening you because it's even more important because they're giving you a lot more money proportionally than the residents are. Next question, how frequently are you communicating with investors? So this is on an ongoing basis, so proactive communication, but also how quickly do you commit to responding to investor inquiries? Right now, in 
a time like the coronavirus, investors are probably reaching out to sponsors a lot more than they usually do. So you've got to make sure that in times of economic certainty, if you say that you're going to be replying to questions within 24 hours, and then something like the coronavirus happens and you're no longer responding to questions in 24 hours, well, then that's not going to reflect good on you and your business. This kind of applies to all these questions, but when you're replying to investor questions, you want to make sure that your replies apply to times of economic expansion and recessions. And if they don't, you need to make sure that you're distinguishing between the two because if you are getting a new investor during an expansion and you say, oh yeah, I send out emails every month and then I'll reply to you within 24 hours and then a recession occurs and you've got all these investors reaching out to you and it's actually impossible for you to reach out within 24 hours, what are you going to do with that situation? Probably let your investors know that, hey, I'm not going to be able to reply to you as soon, but having some sort of communication and letting them know what's typical, and then obviously if something happens, here's how it will change. Next question is, what is your financial review process? So every month or every quarter, ideally every month, maybe even every week, you should be reviewing the financials of the deal. These are the T12s, the rent rolls, the bank statements, making sure that all of your I's are dots and T's are crossed. So make sure that you let your investors know specifically what you do when you're reviewing the financials. So what financials you look at, who else is able to look at these financials. So is it also being checked by some third party? Is your property management company looking at it? Do you have someone on the team that specifically analyzes these financials? What do you look for? Typically, you want to look for the, the variance between your projections and your actuals. Things like that. So it's making sure you let them know what your financial review process is. It's very important because if you aren't reviewing your financials, your investors are not going to like that because you won't be able to catch issues sooner. Next question, what is the worst case scenario and how do you try to mitigate that? So obviously the worst case scenario is you lose their money and then you do a capital call and you lose their money again. So what types of things have you put in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. So what types of things have you put in place to make sure you don't need to do a capital call? What types of things are you doing to make sure that you're able to preserve your investors' capital? So we've, we've talked about this countless times on syndication school. It obviously starts with the three immutable laws of real estate investing, which is to buy for cash flow, not appreciation. Make sure you secure long-term debt and make sure you've got adequate cash reserves. So those are really the three most important and best ways to make sure you're conserving investor capital. So again, not making them money, but also not losing their initial capital. So they don't really care what the worst case scenario is. They more care of how would that worst case scenario affect them? How much money could they lose? And again, the answer is they could lose the money they invested. You ask for more money and they lose that. And I guess the worst case scenario is they give you more money and you lose it again. So what types of things are you doing to mitigate the risk of that happening? Next, can you send me investor references, current and on deals that have sold? So that's also important. So typically when you think of references, you think of just the current deal, but also investors that maybe invested on a deal that sold and did not reinvest. So make sure that if they ask for references, you say yes. They ask specifically for people who no longer invest with you, then give them those references as well. Next, in your return projections, are the numbers presented project level or net to LP? So obviously, whenever you are underwriting your deals, and we've talked about this on the syndication school before, you've got your overall cash and cash return and your IRR, which are the two most important metrics. And then you've got your LP level 
IRR and cash on cash return. Those are not going to be the exact same because even if the investors invested all the capital into the deal and the GPs had no money invested into the deal, you as a GP is still getting fees up front. You're getting ongoing fees and profits and they're getting fees and profits at sale. So not all the profits are going to go to the limited partners. So if you're presenting project level returns and you aren't projecting LP level returns, then you're not setting yourself up for success because what's going to happen is once you begin to send out distributions or maybe even all the way up until the point where you sell the deal and the investors are getting returns that are below the project projections because the project projections are going to be different than the LP projections, they're going to be confused and ask you, hey, you told me that the returns were going to be 20%, but they're actually 15%. What's going on? And obviously, one of the answers could be that you didn't meet your projections. But another answer could be that, oh, well, I gave you the wrong projections, which is probably even worse. So make sure that whenever you are sending any sort of numbers or projections or returns to your investors, you're sending them returns to them, right? They don't really care what the overall project returns are. They want to know what money they actually get. Next, how much liquidity do you keep as reserves in each deal? So right now, that's huge, right? People who did not have liquidity are are struggling right now. And those who had liquidity and reserves are not struggling as much. So how much money are you saving upfront at closing when you purchase a deal? And how much money are you saving on an ongoing basis? Because if something happens unexpected, you've got enough cash and reserves to cover the expense of that or to cover any reductions in income reductions in rent collections that come from some sort of event like the coronavirus. So the rule of thumb is about 1% to 5% of the purchase price as an operating account up front, and then $250 to $300 per unit per year in reserves. So the, the first one's up front, the second one's like an operating expense that comes out before you calculate your cash flow. Next question, how much do the principals or company invest in each deal and at what level. So I'm pretty sure when I originally talked about the GPs investing in the deals, Ashcroft was not doing the class A, class B. So there's an extra layer to this question, which is number one, how much money are they investing? But number two, are they as class A or class B? And I actually had a conversation with Frank, who's one of the founders of Ashcroft at the Best Ever Conference. I was asking him about class A and class B, and he mentioned that he invests as class B because that creates a lot more alignment of interest because for the class A, they get the 10%, but they don't participate in any upside. Whereas class B gets a lower preferred return, but they do participate in the upside. So the deal does really well, they do really well. If the deal doesn't do very well, then they don't do very well. So when you are thinking about whether or not you want to invest in your own deals, the answer should obviously be yes. You need to invest in your own deals so that you have skin in the game so that you have a limit of interest, right? Because if an investor asks you, are you investing in your own deals? And you say, no, you better have a good answer. And I don't really know what a good answer could be that would alleviate any concerns that they had. But going above and beyond that, not only do you want to invest, but you want to invest in the class that is benefited by the deal doing well and suffer from the deal not doing well, which creates even more alignment of interests. So let them know how much money you have in the deal that you're investing as the class of investor that participates in the upside and the downside. Next, who will be managing the property and how long have you been working with them? 
So we've done countless episodes on property management companies. Obviously, the property management company is going to be managing the property. And the one question they're asking here is how long have you known them? So obviously, let them know how long you've known them for, how long you've worked with them for, how many deals you've done with them. Check out the syndication school about the ultimate guide for finding a property management company for more on that. Because that was basically the entire episode, or maybe even two episodes, talking about how to find a property management company, how to screen a property management company, and also how to be prepared to answer the questions that they have about you. But obviously, the property management company is the most important team member besides the members of the general partnership because they're the ones that are responsible for the day-to-day operations of managing the day-to-day operations at the property. And especially at times like coronavirus, you want to make sure you've got a property management company that's rock solid because a lot of adjustments need to be made in a health crisis like this. And if you don't have a rock star property management company, you're going to be in trouble, especially when it's harder to collect rent, people are working from home, so you can't really do in-person tours, things like that. So you want to make sure you have a property management company who's flexible enough to handle these types of unknown events that occur. Last question is how many deals have gone south or sideways and how do those affect your strategy? So obviously if you haven't done many deals before, then you aren't going to have an answer of a deal that's gone south or sideways. But I guess if you have only done one deal and that deal went south or sideways, they don't really want a horror story. They're not supposed to scare them about what went wrong. What they want to know is what was the mistake that was made or what was the problem? Was it your fault or was it not your fault? And then what did you do to solve that problem? So if it was like a really small, minor mistake, then let them know that it was a small, minor mistake. We implemented this solution and we were still able to provide our investors with returns. Essentially, all these questions, they want to know, is my money safe? One, and number two, will I be able to make money? So when you're replying to these questions, keep that in mind. Remember that that's why they're asking these questions. They're not asking it because they want to know, a funny story about a deal that went sideways. They want to know, okay, what happened to the people's money in that deal? (laughs) And is it something that could potentially happen again? So those are 11 questions that every passive investor is most likely going to ask you before investing in a deal with you, especially if you're not a family or a friend. Obviously, if you're doing 506B, you need to have a pre-existing substantive relationship, but maybe you've only known them for a year. They're going to ask you these questions. Families and friends will probably ask you most of these questions too, but basically what you want to do is make sure that you've got answers to all these questions. You don't want to read a script to these people. If they ask you, what is your financial review process? You don't want to go to your Word document and read, well, my financial review process is dot, 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 dot. You don't want to read it to them. You want it to sound natural and genuine, but at the same time, you also don't want to not have an answer or not have a clear answer or have one of those runaround answers. We don't necessarily work your way around the answer. We don't actually answer the question, right? So have everything written out in bullet point forms before you hop on a call or before you even start doing calls. Make sure you know exactly how you want to answer each question or at least the main points you want to hit for each question. That way, when they come up, you have an answer that, again, is actually hitting at what they're actually asking you, which is how are you going to protect my money? So that concludes this episode. Until next time, make sure you check out some of our other Syndication School series, as well as all the free documents that we have. Those are at syndicationschool.com. Check out our coronavirus 
blog landing page where all of our blog posts related to the coronavirus are. That's joefairless.com slash coronavirus. Thank you for listening. Have a best ever day, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com. And there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out.